Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. Such a lonely number when your mind is on another. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our sheets. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we are going to share a story by Jennifer Landau, whose essay we found in the January-February 2022 edition of Literary Mama. Jennifer Landau lives in Westchester County, New York, with her son, who does spot-on impressions of both Johnny Cash and Kermit the Frog. Jennifer is a children's book editor, special education teacher, and grant writer, and has published more than a dozen books. Her writing has appeared in Autism Parenting Magazine and Literary Mama. She owns three coffee makers, which is as close to a hobby as she gets. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. How many coffee makers do you own? I own three cafeteras, like those little ones in all different sizes, like you know, one shot. It's really, I think it's really three shots, but for me, it's one. And then there's like um, six shot, but for me, it's two, you know, and then a really big one. But no like drip coffees, drip coffee maker? No, I don't have that. That's inferior. No, no, no. We have a big drip coffee maker. I think a tiny one, unless it broke. I haven't seen it in a while. Might be in the garage. Um, We have a Keurig and we have one of your cafeteras? Yeah. Cafetera. Yeah. Exactly. It's high up on the shelf. It doesn't get used unless you're here. It used to get used before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, when you I know exactly what you have. Yeah. Because your coffee situation is just slightly under par. Well, Sorry. it's looking like she's not as crazy as it appears when she says she has three coffee makers because you have three and I have three. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Maybe three is the good number. She got to up her game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my friends um, on Facebook or something showed her drawer of ice cream scoops. Like, I thought I was excessive to even have one. Like, why do you need an ice cream scoop, right? Like, I mean, a spoon. Okay, no, 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 no. Really? Okay, let me just explain something. We always had like a big spoon kind of ice cream scoop. Mm-hmm. And then I got one that was like, a little bit, you could warm it, it was stainless, so you could warm it under the water so you could scoop it better and this and that. And then I saw when we were watching all these baking channels, like you could get the ice cream scoop with the like, so that it comes out easier. <laughs> I know you're saying putting, um, the thing that slides. Yeah, the batter. Yes. And let me just tell you, that has changed my life. And we have them in three different sizes, oh but changed God. my life. Yes. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Oh, we're not friends anymore. That's too many ice cream scoops. No, no, no. No. All right. There's a war going on. Okay, well, I didn't buy them yesterday. <laughs> okay. And I certainly didn't get in my car yesterday to drive anywhere to buy them. Have you seen the price of gas? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, this is getting depressing. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, so I want to tell you that I love this essay and I loved it as soon as I read it. 
there's so many reasons why. But I've been thinking lately that I want my own writing to kind of like jump over a higher bar. And what I mean is I want what I write to mean something important and also say something new. And I feel like this story did that. I can't wait to talk about it after, but I do. I think that this story said something slightly new about what it means to be a parent. And it really excited me. And um, I also want to talk about the ending of this story. And um, Jennifer Landau gave me permission to do this on the podcast because like, you know, I always want to only praise the stories that we bring in. But this story had an ending that I wanted more. So in the original version, the ending was there, but I wanted more. And she actually gave us more. And then she and I had a conversation about how difficult endings are. And Allison, you're like, you love talking about how hard endings are. Yeah, because you read an entire story and you're in and then they give you this crap ending and you're like, I just wasted 15 (laughs) minutes of my time and that's the ending. So I find it extremely, extremely important. And we always struggle with endings. I didn't think her ending was crap originally, but I didn't think it was quite earned. I just wanted her to add a little bit before the very end because I do think it landed. Like, you know, it landed that she can do like that gymnast thing with her arms up. That she had... (laughs) So then I wanted her to add a few lines right before that to strengthen her ending. And I think she did. So when we hear her story and we'll hear it after the break, we'll talk about it. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundle and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you are listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next is Jennifer Landau reading her story without me. I'm making dinner when my teenage son walks into the kitchen. You're never going to be a grandmother, you know, he says. Then he walks back out. I know better than to follow him. Instead, I go back to browning hamburger meat for sauce. Wincing as drops of grease land on my wrist, I consider my son's declaration. Kids are loud and messy and unpredictable. All things he hates. And he shouldn't have children. He'll never have a job that will fully support himself, let alone a family. My son is not trying to be hurtful. He deals in facts. I'm glad he knows what's best for him. I try to focus on that. At dinner, we talk about what kind of car he's going to get when he starts to drive. We can't afford a new car. I spent every dime on special diets and therapies and camps, and I can't imagine that he's ever going to drive since his inattentiveness makes it difficult for him to cross the street safely. 
But I go along with the conversation because his teachers and therapists tell me to say, not now, instead of never. They call it optimism. I think it's closer to betrayal, but I'm tired of being the one who breaks his heart. Cars have been my son's passion since he was a toddler. When he was younger, we'd drive from dealership to dealership collecting brochures, which he'd pour over, telling me about each model and color and whether they were two-door or four-door. I must have bought a thousand pretend cars. When I drive, I can do errands for you, he says now. Well, that sounds good. I can travel highways you hate to go on. Even better, I say, because I'll always love you most. I smile, but think, don't. I turned 40 the spring before my son was born. There wouldn't be another child. I'd almost waited too long as it was. Conceived him through anonymous donor insemination after years of relationships that never gained much traction. Although I was married once, briefly. My son missed every milestone, picked up diagnoses, low muscle tone, global developmental delays, and later, autism. Time and therapy got him walking at two and talking at three, and the movement and the words slowly brought him closer to me. He'd toddle over and say, happy see you. By his preschool years, he could fall asleep only if I was curled up at the bottom of his bed. Now it's come on in for a hug, Mom, and talking about his favorite cars, restaurants, or music for as many hours as I can tolerate. He'll mention trips he wants us to take with no regard for money or the fact that I won't always be his companion and can't promise who will be. His two aunts are older than me. He has no father, no siblings, only cousins, whose bond with him is fragile, held together by brief conversations during holiday visits. I know we need to widen our field and definition of love, to accept whatever form that love takes, however many times people cycle in and out of my son's life. I want him to have friends, of course, though that's never been easy for him, and adults to whom he can turn for help, but also romantic love if he wants it, although the statistics are grim. According to one study, only 32.1% of people with autism had partners, and only 9% are married. And that's mostly people with Asperger's, a milder form of autism than my son has. What about those who struggle to communicate, have outbursts, need help making change, or understanding a train schedule? What are the odds for them? Not long after my son's no-grandma comment, we get together with a classmate of his, a lovely girl with Down syndrome, and her mother, with whom I am friendly. For a while, the teachers were trying to fix the two of them up, pushing them to go bowling or to the movies, but my son has no romantic interest in her or she in him. I wasn't going to let him participate in some kabuki theater version of dating, the cute boy and the cute girl playing boyfriend and girlfriend to make the grown-ups feel better. Look at how far they've come. Look how much we've accomplished. Although, as they sit across from each other at our neighborhood coffee shop an hour outside New York City, they do look like they are on an awkward first date, or perhaps a long-married couple sitting in companionable silence. The girl does kiss me on the hand when we first walk in. How courtly, I say. Her mom and I keep glancing over at our kids as we chat, 
I try to nudge my son along by giving him questions he can ask his friend, and he picks a few, but neither seem to care about the answers. We try our best, the mom says, shrugging. We do what we can. There is a certain world weariness in her voice, which I can relate to, even if our circumstances are vastly different. This woman and her husband are well off, while I have little in the way of material possessions to leave my son. I've worked from home for much of his life because my boy still can't stay alone for more than an hour. He gets anxious, will call and call if I'm not home within a 15-minute window of when I promise to return. I worry that by being here for him now, I've jeopardized his future. He doesn't have a trust fund or a wealthy relative. His sole inheritance is a mother who loves him fiercely and who has done her best to prepare him for a life without her. A few months after the coffee date, my son and I are invited to the girls' Sweet 16 party at a nearby country club. A jacket and tie are not required, but he grouses a bit about having to wear a button-down shirt. My son walks into the Sweet 16 party like he owns the place. He's shy behind the swagger, but he knows many of the people who were invited, including the special education teachers and therapists who have worked with our kids for years. I hug the physical therapist who got my son walking all those years ago. Can you believe how quickly time has gone by, she asks. No, I say, I can't. It is a joyous night. Once the DJ starts playing, the kids start dancing, only stopping to eat dinner and go wild at a make-your-own-Sunday bar. It is loose, free, intermittently rhythmic dancing. My son's moves are mostly disco with a little horror and running mixed in. He's having a blast and wants nothing to do with me, which is good for both of us. He gets to be with his friends, and I get to listen to other moms share their stories, although it's hard to hear with the dance floor just half a room away. In the middle of the party, the birthday girl gets up and starts singing the Star-Spangled Banner. There are a couple of puzzled looks, but then we all sing along. That's a beauty in this community, a more fluid vision of what makes sense and a willingness to live in a very specific moment. I'm proud I've helped my son become part of this world. Near the end of the night, I ask him to pose for a picture with the birthday girl. He doesn't like having his picture taken. When he allows it, his smile is forced, and his eyes bug out in an attempt to keep them open. But in this picture, he's beaming and has his arm around the girl's shoulder while she reaches for his hand. It's not a romantic picture, despite the oohs and ahs of everyone who sees it. It's more like he's found a kindred spirit. It occurs to me that maybe his classmates, helpers, teachers, and therapists are the community I've wanted for him all along. This is my hope. Before I leave, yeah. Before I leave, yeah. I look at the picture. I'm okay, he seems to be saying. I'll be okay after you're gone. Before I leave. I just want to say that, like, I thought that this narrator was so brave and said things about her kid that were so true and new 
people are very protective about writing stories about their kids. But this narrator said right from the beginning, she talked about how he shouldn't have children. She just like laid it out there. She really showed me as a reader why she felt that her son would be in danger without her. And I feel like that was bold. Now, this is a really stupid question, but is is she saying that because she feels autism is genetic that he could have an or that parenting is so hard that he won't be able to handle it? No, 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 no. Neither of those. What she's saying is that my son is probably not capable of having a job, of holding a job and having a family. And also my son, where will he be without me? Like, have I done a disservice by being here all along? Who is going to take care of my son when I die? Yeah. I thought that she gave us such great evidence showing that he he calls her every 15 minutes, even now as a teenager. I mean, he really is dependent on her. And she also gave us great evidence showing that it was just the two of them. Like she has her family, but it sounded like it's just like a few a few of her nieces and nephews and they only know her son because every once in a while they talk at a family gathering. Like there's such a tenuous connection. So basically the son has no one except her. But then at the very end, when she sees him, kind of like the part where he is doing um, disco moves and the horror and running around. So I'm totally imagining this guy like doing like his arm up, arm down, arm up. And then he does that like, kind of like low thing where you like cross your arms and then get down low and then kick your feet out. That's and not the horror. That's part of the horror. No, it's not. Yeah. Is it? It is. I only yeah. know going in a circle, like- And then people going in a circle, kicking, kicking yeah. their feet back and forth. Yeah, then he does that. Then he just starts running like crazy on the dance floor. Like I could see this kid. He's having so much fun. Can we back up to where she said- that um, it was something about not now, something about don't tell him something now, something about the cars. It's right here. I see it. At dinner, we talk about what kind of car he's going to get when he starts to drive, blah, blah, blah. But I go along with the conversation because his teachers and therapists tell me to say not now instead of never. They call it optimism. I think it's closer to betrayal, but I'm tired of being the one who breaks his heart. <gasps> that really got me. You know, because she's a realist. She's like, listen, she wants to be real with him. He's a teenager, right? But therapists don't want to rock the boat. They want him to just live in oblivion or something. I don't know. But for a mom, that's very hard. I feel like she's caught in between. She wants to tell him the truth, but she also wants to kind of ride with his fantasy. Yeah, yeah. There's like sort of a fantasy kind of theme throughout here. It's sort of like, yes, and, you know, that concept. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a concept that, that people use in improv, but it's also a concept people use with people who have Alzheimer's. Like it's a technique in medicine, I think. And that's what she's doing. She's like, yes, and then rather than saying no. But it's so hard for her because she, right, we learn about her that she is someone who tells the truth. So does he. Yeah. They both live, they, but they're very, they're similar. Maybe they state the facts. Yeah. He deals in facts. You know, this, this issue here, um, of being a single mom and uh, is, is always especially dear to us at writing class radio, because Andrea and I are both 
you know, I had our kids by anonymous sperm donation. So, and I was a single mom too for a while. Yep. And you're still a single mom. And then when I was faced with, you know, cancer and like, fuck, what am I going to do with my kids? And who's going to take care of them? Fortunately, yes, I do have a great network, but it's never your mom. So it always occurs to me like, yes, I'm sure they'll be fine. Life goes on without me. For sure, 100%, I feel that way. But no one loves you like your mom. No, I know. You know, my perspective, what I feel as a mom and what I got from my mom, you know, and my dad. So yeah, I feel her pain, like, especially with a a child with special needs. This child needs a lot of assistance. Her life is completely altered because of her child in good ways and bad ways. But her dreams were cut. And what do you mean? Meaning that we don't know what her dreams are. She can't work outside the house. She can't. She has. Well, she does. She just has to promise to come home at the right time. And if she's late, he'll start calling. It sounds like. But now that he's a teenager, but as a kid for the first, whatever, 15, 16 years. And can she go on a vacation? Like nothing. It's, you know, by 16, the kids can kind of look after themselves. You know, they're driving and their thing, but he can't. No. Right. But actually what's so interesting about this story is that I don't even feel that. There's one moment where I felt like she was put out by him potentially because she said something like she'll talk about the cars as long as she can kind of (laughs) maintain interest. There was a line like that. But the story is not at all about like sacrifice. uh, No. I mean, it, it sounds like she wanted to have a child and this is a child she has and she loves him fiercely. Oh my God. What about that line? That's his, his entire inheritance as a mother who loves him fiercely. That is so beautiful. Yeah. But then what is he going to do when she dies? Oh yeah. God. But it's important to stay focused on the story. So here I'm, I'm bringing up these other sacrificing questions, but that's not this story. And so how do no, you- No, that's anything? you. That's what you would bring to, that's what you bring to the story. You're like, ah. Oh, if I was bringing that to the story, then the, the entire what is the story about changes. So we have to focus like on this one. The focus is who's going to take care of my kid after I die. What's going to happen to him? It's not about sacrificing. So it's really important to stay very clear on that. So who knows what was in her first, second and 15th draft. But in this draft, this is about, that's why the end has to be very, very specific, right? Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk about the end for a minute? Uh, Okay. But I want to start from the beginning because it's called Without Me. So we know that that's the challenge that the narrator is struggling with right from the beginning. Without me, what will happen to my child? So at the very end, she gets to this moment where we see the child having this really great time. Did you love the part where she shows the girl, his friend, who's singing the Star Spangled Banner, and then everyone's like, wait, what? And then they all start singing too. Like she shows us how beautiful this community is in this so fun, different way. Okay. And then there's a picture. She's looking at a picture of her son who she describes really well, this funny way that he like doesn't really want to be in this picture, but then he's in this picture and he's like, woo, with the eyes bugging out. The original ending was, I'm here. She's looking at the picture. She says, it's more like he's found a kindred spirit. And then I'm here. He seems to be saying, I'll be here after you're gone. I'll be okay. And I felt like that ending, while what she's saying is 
he seems to be saying it's kind of a fantasy. He seems to be saying he'll be okay. That's what she wants to believe so badly. But I felt like it came so fast that I wanted her to add a few more lines about how she came to that. And those are the lines that she added, which were, it occurs to me that maybe his classmates, helpers, teachers, and therapists are the community I've wanted for him all along. This is my hope. So she doesn't know. She doesn't know that they'll step up and be there for him, but she's hoping so big that they will. And so she looks at that picture and he seems to be saying it's still a fantasy or it's her hope. It's her dream that he'll be okay after she's gone. And I, so I just think it lands in that, in that way, like, boom, yes. Yeah. I always want to know what the character or the narrator, not the character is thinking so that we can come to the ending with them. You know, we want to be thinking what they're thinking. So it's, it was beautiful, like knowing like, oh my God, yes, that picture showing that. So I thought that was very rewarding. So well done there. I thought that um, the way that she brought in statistics, 32.1% of people who have autism have partners and only 9% are married. And those are usually people with Asperger's. And I thought that was interesting to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. How do they even get those statistics? Actually, she didn't tell us where she got those statistics. So that was, that's questionable, but it worked for me when I first heard it. I believed her. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Jennifer Landau, for sharing your story. Writing Class Radio is produced by Matt Kundal, Evan Serminski, and Claire Mansell at the Sound Off Media Company. Theme music by Courtney Fox. Additional music by TJ North and Marnino Tucson. Sound effects by Jacob Teason. There's more Writing Class Radio on our website, writingclassradio.com, including essays to study, editing resources, video classes, writing retreats, and live online classes. And also look for the swag tab. Buy your t-shirts, hats, mugs, sweatshirts. I love our swag. Me too. Join our writing community by following us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I will answer all of your publishing questions. For $25 a month, you can join our first draft weekly writers group. You have the option to join Tuesdays from 12 to 1 Eastern time or Wednesdays from 6 to 7 Eastern time. You'll write to a prompt and share what you wrote. If you're looking to take your writing to the next level, for $125 a month, you'll get first draft and second draft. Each week, three people bring in a second draft for feedback. Join the community that comes together for instruction, an excuse to write, and most importantly, the support from other writers. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash writing class radio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. So look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.